Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping safe out there right now. Hi guys, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is good out there. Morning, afternoon, evening, hello. So fellas, how are we doing this week? It's uh, It's been a long old week since last week with the old question cast. Are we uh, all raring to go to talk about inconsistent? Actually, what is this film called? I've already <laughs> forgotten. Inconceivable. I nearly called it Inconceived then. <laughs> we, we're looking forward to this one. It's a film. It's definitely a film. <laughs> can confirm it's a feature film. It is something, though. Blood. Christ me. It's um, it's a, it's a complex set and a roller coaster of emotions, this film. I mean, is it a film, really? I mean, it's the way it. We'll get into this in a bit, but it, it's like. It, you can see where the adverts were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was made for TV, what wasn't was that? it? It was like Kill Chain, wasn't it? That We said that about Kill Chain, I think. And that yeah. we said like it should have been like episodical as opposed to um, like one Yeah, we did. Like one film. That was the film we couldn't remember the yeah. name of last time out. Christ knows what it's come to me now, just like out Fuck of the blue. Knows. <laughs> yeah, Trapped in Paradise, so, did... is, Trapped in Paradise is the oh. other one, and that's seared into my mind now. I'm, I'm coming oh, round on that. It's a shocker. So, uh, just to tell you about my week, then. So, I've had a little bit of a flare up of my psoriasis, uh, the cold <laughs> weather, and stress at work. So, I had to go to the doctors to get some cream just to nip it in the bud before it uh, starts up. And I've got a little bit just on my forehead. <clears throat> and honestly, the doctor was going to prescribe me shampoo to get rid of it. And I'm like, are you taking the piece? There's <laughs> literally no hair there. <laughs> and hasn't been for quite a few years now. And yeah, he was going to prescribe it with shampoo. Mate, you, should, you should have said if they'd have got you that uh, German caffeine shampoo on the on the NHS's tab. That dead expensive Oh, the stuff. one that regrows your hair? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, could you imagine? Oh, that'd be great. Get a full head of hair like, like Homer Simpson did that once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'd love uh, Well, to be fair, though, like tattooed heads are in now. It's the new thing. If you were watching Married at First Sight Australia, like oh, uh, like I told like I t- like I told you to, <laughs> I think one of the guys has had a tattooed head. But is it tattooed quite... hair? Well, well, have you have you have you ever had a tattoo, Stu? Like it's it's like they just put little little dots on, but so close together that it, it resembles like like stubble on your head. I don't think I'd bother. I'd probably end up looking more like Bam Bam Bigelow than I would anything else. <laughs> Not sure it's worth it. You know, like the um, the things from Alien Nation. Where the um... I've no idea what you're talking about. Alien Nation. What? The Conehead thing. The Conehead film. I know Not Coneheads. Head. Oh. Not, not actually Coneheads. Alien. Oh. Can you not know no, I... not a clue. Oh dear God. See, this and, is gonna, and... this is going to be an uncaged episode right now because this is. <laughs> And do you not find it quite ironic, Matt, that you just mentioned that Married at First Sight Australia and Stu groaned? That's how bad that show must be. <laughs> no. That even Stu is not interested. No, that's a sign of that's a sign of taste and class. 
Alienation, 1988, starring James Caan, Terence Stamp. Fucking hell. Going through the rest of for people we might know. Um, in 1988, Earth makes the first contact with an alien civilization. In 1991, these aliens, known as newcomers, slowly become begin to be integrated into human society after three years of quarantine. Is this TV or film? It's film. It was okay. T- it was a TV show later, which wasn't great, but it, yeah, it's it's good film. Sounds like the inspiration for District 9 in a weird way. I was yeah. thinking V myself, but yeah, it's got that sort of feel to it. It's very obviously a kind of a standing for racism of how, mm. of because they integrate and you can see what's going to happen. And it's an 80s film. So, but yeah, it's definitely excellent. Well, from what I remember, anyway, it's been a long time since I saw it. And if people come at me now moaning about Alien Nation being a poor film, then. It's my childhood mind. Well, after last week, it, it might be Tara coming at you again after your um, controversial opinions on The Wizard of Oz. Well, it's shitting. Everyone, the sooner, the sooner everyone accepts that it's not a very good film at all and they're just looking at it because it's old, then the better. I am genuinely disgusted with that opinion. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with Inconceivable. So preconceptions of the film obviously we go in all we know really is the title inconceivable pretty nice and vague so what i did was i checked the imdb plot keywords i will give you some of the highlights of the keywords of this film bikini caught having sex peeping female nudity murder of a nude woman nudity naked dead woman topless swimming topless female nudity I think that pretty much sums up the whole film, to be perfectly yeah, yeah, honest. Let's wrap it up right there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a much better film than we actually got, to be fair. <laughs> so uh, what did we think of the cast? Obviously, we've got two of Nick Cage's former love interests. We've got Gershon from Face Off and Whelan, who was his main squeeze, or his side piece, actually, in Left Behind. I Well, for me, I, I thought instantly... It's going to be exactly what it ended up being—a low, low budget, low talent <laughs> romp. <laughs> That's what it kind of ended up being. But I, I didn't expect um, that I would be challenged intellectually by any of the performances. Put it that way. When I saw the cast, yeah, I mean, it's also got the acting debut and for acting in inverted commas for Natalie Eva Marie, one for the wrestling fans out there. If her acting is half as good as her wrestling, I'm fully expecting her to be the worst thing. That, that was my first thoughts when I saw her name on the cast list. And of course, Faye Dunaway is in this, formerly a star, but we haven't seen her in anything of worth since 1974's Chinatown. I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen her in this either because that's not her. Well, it's a, <laughs> well, the, rem, the remnants of what's left of her, her skin, by the looks of it. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, we've got the director, Jonathan Baker. I'd never heard of him before. Um, I've got no idea what he was going to bring to the party, so I had no expectations from him. And we'll get on to a bit more <laughs> about that when we get to it. Uh, did we watch the trailer? Did we think much of the trailer when we went into it? The film's better than the trailer. 
<laughs> now, I thought the trailer did a good job, personally. It made me want to see it. It sort of evoked the, the hand that rocks the cradle. So I, I quite like that. I, mean, I know I've spoke about this before, but those 90s sexy thrillers that we used to get. And it kind of reminded me of that. So, yeah, it, it did what a trailer needs to do for me. And it made me want to see it without really telling me too much. Mm, I think, like, Nick Cage's face on the cover art says it all in this film <laughs> and it looks really weird without a beard as well I've grown, grown accustomed to Nick Cage with a beard or some facial hair to say the least and he, he looks he looks as disinterested as his performance to be honest <laughs> so Inconceivable is a film which IMDB describes as a mother looks to escape her abusive past by moving to a new town where she befriends another mother who grows suspicious of her. I think it's time she slept in her own bed. Mm, next week. I love you, Dad. Oh, I love you, sweetheart. You really miss having more kids, don't you? You wanted a big family. Is she yours? She's really cute. I'm Angela Morgan. Katie Wells. Who's that? That's Katie, my play date. Here it is. Nice to meet you, Dr. Morgan. Ryan. Let's all raise a glass. I just feel like I'm part of the family now. My mom said Katie gives her the willies. Your mother doesn't like anyone. Why don't you just move to our guest house? You could also be our part-time nanny. Angela and Brian are going to try for another kid. They're going to use a surrogate. Wait, they're going to ask me? No, me. What are you doing? They're my babies. We won't have the family that we wanted. I'm not out of options. Have you thought any of this through? What did Katie get out of it? She's very beautiful, isn't she? Hideous. The last thing I want is for her to question either one of us. Hold your girls. They look just like you. Yeah, I get that all the time. She's not your daughter. This is your job. Yeah, to raise one of your kids and carry the other. You're hiding something, and I'm gonna find out what it is. I think she may be mentally unwell, possibly dangerous. Enough! We don't know anything about this woman. You're a drug addict. I'd rather die than have my child be raised by you. You endangered the baby. Katie has grounds for keeping him now. She's trying to kill me. You're pathetic. You accuse her of murder. So the film opens up in a large house at night. There is a crying baby. A woman runs about the house out of breath. She grabs the baby, telling it they have to go. Daddy will be home soon. She grabs a few things and head downstairs. I couldn't help but laugh when she was running down the stairs. That kid was fucking screaming its head off. And it was just like that. The baby was. <laughs> I know this is a visual medium, but his arms were stuck to its side. Did not move. It was the worst looking doll I have ever seen. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is setting us up for a hell of a film here. <laughs> Before she manages to get away, the husband returns home. He tries to stop her from taking the baby. So she stabs him. Cut to Nicolas Cage returning home from a run. He talks to his wife, Gina Gershon. We get an establishing conversation. They have a child together. They're both doctors. Gershon is missing her work and she seems to have given it up to be a mother. 
She's also in a sexy negligee lying next to her child in bed, which looked a little bit odd. Gershon then takes the child to the park where she bumps into Nikki Whelan. That'll be the woman from the start of the film. She now has blonde hair. They exchange a bit of small talk before Eva Marie comes over. She knows both Gershon and Whelan and says, I knew you two would be friends. How about a threesome play date round Gershon's house? They accept. Gershon and Whelan have spoken for a grand total of 15 seconds as she's invited <laughs> her round her house with her kid. Yeah, it was this, this, I think this was like a running theme, really. Like, listen, me, me and you, Andy, especially are really into our pro wrestling. So the, dis, you know, the um, self-belief or, 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 you know, being accustomed to believing what you're seeing on the screen does come quite naturally to us. But Christ me, they were just like, yeah, fucking come over, just fall asleep on my settee, no problem, to this like absolute stranger. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was bizarre. It was awful, wasn't it? From my point of view, of almost been in this situation with the uh, school run moms. This happens. It's it's ridiculous, but this happens. There's there's women this like this so desperate for friends that they will just latch onto each other straight away. <laughs> and I saw it. I saw it when um, when Corey went to nursery for the, on the first day, and there were people like, "Oh, should we go for a coffee?" Well, no, it's a pandemic, so no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but still, when I mean, they they were like trying to be best buds straight away. And so, I mean, this is like, I say mom nature, but it seems to happen. <laughs> and Stu's there to pick up the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she won't go for a coffee with you. Why not come round to mine? It'll be fine. <laughs> I do a pod. <laughs> I do a podcast, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you should. You sit with my broadcast arm. <laughs> <laughs> we get some more exposition at the play date. The three women are on the wine. The kids are on the juice. It seems like it's very late and these children are still up and the only adults which are in the house are all getting smashed. <laughs> Gershon tells Whelan that she's carried the baby to herself, but it was a difficult pregnancy. Bit of a weird conversation to have with a complete stranger. Mm. Cage returns home. The three women are asleep on the couch. He does not seem to be overly concerned about a stranger being in their house and he just takes his wife to bed leaving his child sleeping downstairs with this complete stranger. <laughs> As Cage is talking to, taking Gershon to bed, Whelan opens her eyes. She was pretending to be asleep all along. So we've hit the 10-minute mark at around this point. What are our opening opinions on the film? Stu, where were you with it straight off the bat? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> My first thought was... <laughs> He's a very henpecked man in this relationship. So he's he's going to do exactly as he's told at all times. And his wife's just taking the piss out of him. Even though, do we know that she's a doctor at this stage? Is it even mentioned? Because she seems to... Yeah, when when they're in bed, he, she, she calls him Dr. Morgan. He calls her Dr. Morgan. And then it's never mentioned again. <laughs> yeah, it's it seems like he just goes along for the ride for the uh, for the quiet life. <laughs> and that's at, at this at this point, and like you said about the um, the mums getting pissed with the kids, yeah, that happens as well. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what did you think of yeah the opening salvo? My gaydar was going off, <laughs> and Sam Sam said to me because we watched it together. Sam said to me, um, 
I'm sensing some strong lesbian vibes here. Uh, so we we I think we could tell pretty early on that there was some there was um that was going to be like a bit of a plot theme going through. To be fair, it doesn't end up being that much of a theme in the film, I, I guess, really. But mm. um, I I don't know. This this film had a real from the very start had a bit of a hypnotic and mesmerizing way of <laughs> keeping you wanting to watch, even though it's utterly shite. Yeah, and that's what the first ten and, purely, and that's yeah. what the first ten minutes did. It was, it was like, I'm not sure why I'm getting a kick out of this because I, I, I can see that it's awful, but there's just something about it. Maybe it's because it's just, you know, a bit sexy at the start. Maybe I just, in general, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was, I was struggling to kind of put, put two and two together with it. It was like one of them, um, like after nine o'clock ITV dramas. That you mm. have sometimes, mm. where you know it, you shouldn't be watching it, but you really, you really want to. <laughs> yeah, it was like a shit broad church, wasn't it? Oh come on, now. does it broad church and shit in the same sentence should never be mentioned together? That's what I mean. It was like a shit version of that. Like if you had an idiot in charge of it, <laughs> everything that's not broad church is shit in that genre. Yeah, true. <laughs> So what I assume is the following day. I mean, time in this film has absolutely no place. Like, it could be minutes passing. It could be weeks. I genuinely have no idea. Anyway, the, the following day at Family Cage, at their place, they are having a big meal. Cage's mom, played by Faye Dunaway's corpse, congratulates <laughs> Whelan on her cooking. And then out of nowhere, Eva Marie just starts to chant, Speech! Speech, mm. speech. Like, what the fuck are you doing, you weirdo? That night, Eva Marie puts the two women's kids to bed and then she says she has to go because she's got a marathon tomorrow morning. Whelan sh- says that she needs to go too, but Gershon offers Whelan a bed for that night. Christ alive, this script is unbelievable. So Eva Marie has put these two girls to bed, even though one of them doesn't live there <laughs> and that woman is then going to have to go home. So why would she do that? Mm. Also, Eva Maria spent the two day or this day or however long it's been with these women, and we're meant to believe they're close together. And at no point has she told them that she's doing a marathon. Like that would not be news to them. Why does she have to announce it? Mm. Nobody talks like this. Yeah, if she and was... I kind of got the impression that there isn't a single thought in this film that doesn't go unsaid by the characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's like a it's like a diary or monologue just for, for, for everybody. Yeah, it's true. And it, it, it verges on the point where it's like it's like pantomime. Because every everybody <laughs> yeah. has to be louder than everybody else and kind of be mm. like, I'm going over here now. Wink wink. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Um but oddly watchable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no point to take my eyes off it. (laughs) Cage tells Gershon that his mother dislikes Whelan. She gives her the willies. Whelan tells Gershon that her ex was abusive and that's why she and the kid had to run away. Gershon says, do you want to know my secret? I'm terrible at making babies. I had four miscarriages. I got older and had to get an egg donor and became ill, so started abusing prescription meds. Became a mess, checked myself into hospital. <laughs> I'm clean now. Like, not in those exact words, but not far off it, to be perfectly honest. And I've got to think, if she's got this predilection to addiction, why is she still drinking? Hmm. If she knows that she's abusing drugs like quite easily, 
if she wants to be sober, I'm pretty certain, and especially as a doctor, she would know this, that you would just kick the lot. Yeah. I and mean, this was the first time when I laughed. I mean, you, you, you shouldn't really laugh at any of this film, really, intentionally, but <laughs> after after this speech and just the look on her face, like she was, you've known her what? You've known her a day, you've known her two months, three months, as we've already said. And she's literally telling everything that's wrong with her while sitting there getting yeah. pissed again. <laughs> it was really out of the blue and it just wasn't a reasonable response to what Whelan was telling her about. Whelan's saying, I'm a, I'm a victim of abuse. And she turns it all around about herself and nothing to do with abuse. Like yeah. there was no, there was no connection between the two parts. It was baffling. Gershon then tells Whelan that she's preggers. Gershon is clearly mid fifties at this point. Like, we know she's in mid-50s and she's got a three, four-year-old who she carried to fruition. She's established that. It just seems irresponsible at this point for her to be getting pregnant. Or should I say inconceivable at this point <laughs> to be getting pregnant? It, I just don't... But then again, that, that's the running theme with these films. I don't get it. We get a flashback to when Whelan has just killed the baby's daddy. Christ alive, that wig she's wearing in the flashbacks is appalling. Between the dark-haired flashback wig and the modern-day extensions that she's wearing, they really have spared every single expense on the wigs <laughs> in this film. It looks awful. This flashback to the, the father death, like it doesn't tell us anything. It was utterly pointless. In the current timeline, Gershon has a miscarriage. She and Cage say they'll try again, and they move Whelan into the guest house as Gershon is going back to work and they need a nanny. This whole back-to-work stuff with Gershon I found pretty strange. Like, that kid is at least four. So it's not like Gershon is just finishing up her maternity leave. She has had a career break from being a doctor. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I had a look on the NHS website and stuff, and apparently if you have a career break, over three months, the deterioration of your knowledge and skills is rapid. So you have to go through extensive training and tests to get back to it. And they just sort of drop us straight back into the hospital like nothing's happened. Okay, that's odd. Just doesn't... Again, it's the script of it. it there's no flow to it. There's no narrative structure. And what, what would have been really easy to do, actually, and give it some substance, would have been to play on her addiction. She had to mm. have a break because of her addiction. And now she's back to work because of... She's spent so much time clean, so now she's back. She's going back to work, but it's still there in the back of her mind kind of thing. It would have given it a bit of substance and a bit of reasoning to it, um, but instead they just went down the very, very cut and dry route of just being, yep, yeah, I'm going back to work after three years. See you later. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's exactly. A missed opportunity. Yeah. Cage tries to have sex with Gershon seemingly a few days after she's miscarried. <laughs> he then goes outside and knowing he's watching, Whelan strips whilst getting into the pool. Returning from work the following day, Gershon goes to the guest house where she sees Whelan is having sex. Initially after thinking she was sleeping with Cage, Whelan tells her that it was a woman, revealed in the very next scene to be Eva Marie, like they set up this little bit of intrigue and then pay it off immediately. Mm. They don't let it build or anything at all. Just literally sex, woman, even Marie. Okay, fine. It's like, give us something a little bit. Just just tease us. 
You don't, we don't need the money shot straight away. Just tease us a little bit. It wasn't even a surprise because you can see the colour of her skin in the in the room. She's mm. she's the only one with it who's not white in the entire film. I mean, well, she's Hispanic, I presume, and well, she's at least got darker darker skin than the rest of them. And you can see her legs up in the air. <laughs> so when she said, "Oh, it's a friend from work," then well, no, because we have, we don't know what your work is. It's just oh. When yeah. this is, I mean, it's very rare for me to kind of to switch off my brain with these kind of things anyway. But this, I just thought, fuck this film. <laughs> just gonna, where, where can it possibly go next? I didn't think we'd like find the point where Stu Stu Hall <laughs> would take the artistic high road. <laughs> of that film. This, this is the low point, isn't yeah, it? When, when, you, when you mess up, when you mess up my lesbian drama, that's the tipping point. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ uh, so the following day Eva Marie goes to the beach with Whelan Eva Marie tells her that Gershon and Cage are going to try for another child uh, but this time they're going to use a surrogate Whelan assumes that they will ask her but Eva Marie says no no they're going to be asking me they want an all red everything baby <laughs> nice <laughs> pissed off Whelan punches and then drowns Eva Marie <laughs> Oh, how I laughed when Whelan punched Eva Marie. Like, as a trained wrestler, she should know how to take a punch and sell it. And she fucking didn't. She stood there and just flopped into the water. Christ. She really was the worst wrestler who's ever lived. That's not hyperbole. She was the drizzling shits. Like, embarrassingly bad this was. This acting was shocking. How did, like, how did the corpse end up hugging the rocks as if it was, like... Lying across it for a photo shoot or a painting. Yeah, she just like it, it somehow <laughs> got caught bit... on driftwood. Like yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it turned. It caught on driftwood. Turned the other way around and then <laughs> yeah. rolled on its front. <laughs> God. So now she's gone. Time to ask what are our thoughts on Eva Marie? Personally, I thought she stunk the place up. Like, she might be the second worst actor in this film. I'll tell you who I think's the worst actor <laughs> shortly. She was really wooden, like, properly stilted. Her delivery of lines was abysmal. And I know, like, me and you, Matt, we've seen a bit of her other work. And and this was no better. Like, I don't see a future for her in on the cinema screen. Like, I don't see a, a future for her in a wrestling ring. She's really poor, I felt. It definitely felt like a favour to someone mm. putting her in the film, basically. Now, I'm not as much of a critic of Eva Marie from the wrestling point of view in that, yes, yeah, she's a terrible wrestler, technically. But when in when she was in NXT and they ended up... Re- and then um, she realised that... Or, or the powers of B realised that everybody hated her. I thought she played that part really well mm. in the end. Um, but this is not pro wrestling and <coughs> she did not play her part very well. <laughs> Stu, what did you think of Eva Marie? It wasn't ideal, was it, really? <laughs> it's when we, we, We'll come on to him in a minute when it's just... Uh, just lost for words at how bad he was. But she was... I don't think she was as terrible as you... We've, we've seen people in Cage films in the last six months that are, have been on a par bad as she was. And it ain't like she was working with a bad script because everyone was, but... Hmm. Yeah, she was... Um, she was more MDF, than, uh, <laughs> full on oak, let's say. But yeah, she went, 
I just think the, the, the character was kind of pointless. Mm. Yeah, more than anything really, else. Yeah. So it was the character was pointless. So they just put someone who couldn't act that well in. Thought, well, there you go. Just do what you can. And that's what it seemed. Mm. She was quite literally cannon fodder, wasn't she? She was there to be killed. Yeah. Yeah. Red shirt. Before Wheeler killed, uh, Whelan killed Eva Marie, she explained that the eggs which Gershon used for their child were hers and that the child that she has with her is the same deal. They were eggs which she donated, but someone else carried the child. Whelan said that because Gershon was going back to work, that the child was neglected and that she was going to ch- take that child back. Whelan also explains this is why she kidnapped the other child too. Next we see Whelan, she's four months preggers. Gershon takes Whelan to the doctors. Whelan questions why they're doing this and says, isn't this only for women over 35? I'm not being funny, but Nikki Whelan is clearly over 35. <laughs> like, this film has issues with just presenting women as they are. Like Gershon is clearly mid to late 50s who has a three-year-old for crying out loud. And I'm not saying this is an insult. They are women who just look their age. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So why are the creative team behind this making asking us to believe this utter bullshit? It's mm. awful. It's almost like they, um, they had the cast before they had the script. <laughs> mm. Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't cast these people in these roles, would you? No. If that was the, um, if that was the case. You know, my, I was trying to think, there's, there's so many things in this film that relate back to me and my family. I mean, my, um, me and my cousin's 18. Is he 18? Yeah, he's 18 and my, um, and my auntie's in her 60s. So she had him pretty late, but one in her 50s. So, and that, that was like 40s. So I know how bad mm. women of that age go through it. Also, yeah, it just, it was just nonsense. I mean, it's, it, you can see that it was it was made out of that they're a career couple and they've decided to do it later on in life after all the the things that went wrong. But nah, just now. No, it's just extra, wasn't it? Everything that had to happen, it just felt like it was too far out of the realms of possibility. We get another flashback now, and fucking hell, this wig is even worse. Whelan is in the hospital <laughs> donating her eggs. The doctor taking the eggs says, I'm sorry, the infection has spread to both ovaries. These are the last three eggs she'll ever produce. So she's got an, an, infam- an infection in a clacker, apparently. But these <laughs> eggs that she's giving now are perfectly fine, but the next batch will be shot. Pretty sure it doesn't work like that. Like, if she's got an infection, the eggs that are there now will surely they'll be infected with the same issues that the next lot will be. They never explain any of that stuff. It, I, I'm, I'm lost for words at this part of why why now can she no longer give her eggs? What's the cut-off yeah. point? Mm, yeah, it, was, it was at this point where I'd lost room on the flowchart of me trying to work out what was going on, whose <laughs> eggs were whose, whose babies were whose. Yeah, I was just like, I assumed at one point that it was going down the route of being some kind of Russian, Eastern European thing, because we know nothing about her fella that she killed. And he had a bit of an Eastern European, Russian mafia look about it. And I thought she was, might have been at some kind of backstreet Eastern European doctor. And I expected by the end of the film, she'd have some ropey accent. <laughs> and actually, she's some kind of super spy or something i don't know 
Uh, but it never even paid off on that. No, that probably would have been better than what we actually got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to need Dean to write in and qualify this um, medical talk because infected eggs seems like a bad idea all round. Mm. And like you said, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense really. And I mean, it, this is the first time that where she's had some kind of like <laughs> PTSD of something from the past <laughs> as well. And if things were really that bad for her, then surely this kind of thing would have happened the whole way through the film, and not just at this moment. You'd think, yeah. yeah. Gershon, at this point, seems to finally be losing her patience with Whelan. After doing everything to pull Whelan into their lives, they now have had enough of her and expect her to give them the baby she's been carrying and then just fuck off into obscurity and leave them for their peace. Who wrote this shit? (laughs) <laughs> well, there were, she was as quick to fall out with her as she was to invite her into the guest house. Yeah. Like, I, I know, like, I occasionally switch off or I'll, like, I'll leave it on while I'm doing other stuff, but I thought I might have missed about 10 minutes of the film because it's no sooner had they become best bosom buddies that wanted to kill each other. Mm. So Whedon is dyeing her hair. She's 37 weeks pregnant. And I know that... Like, I know it's a bit of a myth that they can't, but I think that they shouldn't dye their hair when they get heavily pregnant. But she's also dyeing the hair of her three, four-year-old child as well, which seems a little bit inappropriate, I would have thought. Um, and she gets PC with Gershon when Gershon says that she is not taking maternity leave this time. I mean, she didn't take maternity leave last time. She had a career break for four fucking years. That's not maternity leave. Again, who wrote this? It's just the inconsistencies in this script just keep popping up time and again that it only has to take something small for me to completely knock me out of my stride. And it did this constantly, I thought. We get another flashback. Whedon is dressed in the same shirt which we saw her in right at the start of the film. She hears a baby crying and gets angry at the baby's mum who is having a glass of wine and taking a bath, leaving the kid to cry. She goes to the bed, the bathroom and confronts the mother, showing her a picture of a random child. The mother then gets mad and like none of this has got any context at this point. So it, it just completely gone so fucking mad. Whelan then kills the mother, smashes her head against the bathtub, but there's no blood. Uh, we then get the scene... <laughs> The scene ends at the start of the film, so thereby we've gone full circle at this point. So we've discussed Whelan's wigs already. What about Cage's wig? What the fuck was going on with that? Cage was in this film, was it? I know, yeah. Barely <laughs> been mentioned. He seemed to have, like, a white person's afro. Like, it was quite <laughs> big and poofy, and he must be getting through a can of hairspray every single day. It looked atrocious. And it seemed to be getting darker as well, his hair, did as it was going along. It reminded me of uh, at Richard Hobbs, his hair. <laughs> <When he's>, um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. For, for many points, because it, it, it did seem to um, it did seem to be backcombed. Well, I thought this was a continuation, um, and his character from Valley Girl booked his ideas up and got a career. <laughs> and this is like when I kept his hairstyle, basically. Oh, that might explain something. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll put a pin in the Valley Girl chat and uh, we'll come back to that one. Gershon is starting to think Whelan is going to run away with the baby. She goes into her guest house where Whelan is staying. She finds a picture of a man outside of a house. 
this picture never comes back into play throughout the rest of the film, so it was sort of pointless. Complete waste of time. Gershon confronts Whelan. Whelan says, Did you find what you were looking for when you broke into my room? It's Gershon's fucking house. She didn't break into anything, you dumb fuck. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I think the um, the thing with the people... You can see that something's been cut out there because that picture, you only saw it very briefly, but there was a, she was looking, it looked like she was using like street, street view to look at houses of the same thing mm. in the area where it was from to look, look her up. But it was so brief that you probably didn't even notice it. It was, it was on the screen for a second at most. Mm. So that was what the point was, but you could, it some. It's a continuity error, really, because it's just been cut from the film. Yeah, I think there probably was some explanation to it that, as you say, just ended up on the cutting room floor. Gershon now fully believes that Whelan is out to steal her daughter and keep the baby. Whelan makes out that Gershon is paranoid. Cage and Dunaway both side with Whelan now. Dunaway, who has spent the whole film telling anyone who will listen that she does not like Whelan, and she cannot be trusted. She's now on her side all of a sudden. Like, that is fucking awful. Gershon, out of the blue, accuses Wheeling of killing Eva Marie. Wheeling fakes going into labour. Whilst Wheeling is recuperating in the main house, Gershon goes back to the guest house and uncovers Wheeling's coloured contact lenses and starts digging through the egg donation paperwork. We see a picture of a child. This is the same picture which Whelan showed the woman she drowned in the bathtub. So we therefore know that that is Nikki Whelan as a child. But again, there's no context and no explanation for it. So you're sort of having to make these connections for yourself. I didn't really understand the the severity of why the contact lenses really mattered. Yeah, why, what did that start off the whole theme like, of everything? Like, I was like, what... Yeah, so like, there's so many other things that like should have been the smoking gun than someone is wearing contact lenses because we already know that she changes her appearance to get away from her abusive husband in theory. So it makes perfect sense that she might have changed her eye color as well because she's on the lam from her abusive husband when they when they had to leave. So I don't know why that is meant to be such a big revelation. It's not, is it really? But they had nothing else to, to give us. So they felt like that, that that was it. Terrible. To find the evidence that Whelan was the donor, she calls the place where she got the donation initially. The receptionist she speaks to says that the person who got them the egg committed suicide. The receptionist says that she doesn't believe this person would do that because she loved life. What a weird conversation to have with a complete stranger over the phone. (laughs) Gershon asks for the donor name. The receptionist says that she cannot give her the name. So Gershon asks who painted this mural in the room where where they went to. The receptionist says that she can't give her that either because a donor painted it. Honestly, who the fuck wrote this shit? Like, why wouldn't the receptionist just say, I don't know, rather than, oh, I can't tell you because it was a donor. She would never know that it was a donor, other unless you told her that it was. Like it just mm, this oh. this screams of like when you're at work and someone wants to do something unethical, but you you want them to do it, 
You can't, <laughs> you can't tell them to do it. You try and talk them into it without giving away the like without actively telling them. Yeah, yeah. Gershon calls Cage's brother to do a DNA test for her. The guy who plays Cage's brother is actually the director of the film, Jonathan Baker. He is probably the dirt worst actor <laughs> in this whole movie. Absolutely. Good God. Now, he's the one who should have been wearing a fucking wig. That hair is atrocious. It's somehow wet, but really greasy at the exact same time. Looks awful. So he's actually his brother then? In this, yeah. Yeah, I went back. Well, I'm assuming it's his brother because he says bro right at the start. And then again, never gets mentioned throughout the rest of the film. But it's that kind of film where they would take that shortcut. Like he, when he sees his cousin for the first time, he'd probably say, how are you doing, cuz? Like, it's that kind of cheap <laughs> shit that they will be doing. I mean, when I, when I was talking about his performance and I thought the only one that I could think of anywhere near as bad as this was Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, it's and, that level of, yeah. Mm. And that that's that is what it is because he's it's almost like he's never acted in his life, <laughs> or so, like someone's dropped out and he's just filling in for someone because it's his film and he has to. Mm. Yeah, I felt like there was a, like a budget snafu, and like he just had to like like wave his wave his appearance fee because he was already getting paid for being the director. Yeah, so I'd never heard of this guy before, and <laughs> understandably so. So I've been onto his IMDb page and had a, a bit of a mooch. He's currently working on a film called, it's either called Fate or F-A-T-E because it's all in capitals, but there's no cast attached to it or anything like that. So I'm calling it now. We will never see that fucking film. The rest of his profile is just weird. He's got a few producer credits of badly reviewed straight to DVD Drake and about 20 odd credits for acting as himself or being a host or contestant on something. And then one director credit, which is for this film. Like, how the fuck did he get to make a Hollywood film for Lionsgate? <laughs> I, I'm baffled. I had a quick look on his biography as well on IMDb. Baker has always been enthralled by smart storytelling and larger-than-life figures, taking inspiration <laughs> from the greats like Ernest Hemingway to guide his own sensibilities as a writer, producer, director and adventurer. Baker began his entertainment industry career as a writer, director and producer, winning awards and won the New York Film Festival Award for Best Comedy. Uh, More recently, he founded Baker Entertainment Group, a multimedia development and production company based in Hollywood. Baker is also a successful entrepreneur who grew a startup venture, Skin Spa, into leading full service day spas in the US. While focusing on the Baker Entertainment Group, and evolving his work as a film director, he remains active in the personal care field and is currently developing a new signature brand, Jonathan Baker EST 1962. Jonathan's men casual wear line is also due out next. I thought this makes him sound like an absolute fucking chancer and a shyster. And then when I looked at the bottom and it says, who wrote the biography? Baker Entertainment Group. (laughs) (laughs) nice fucking twat (laughs) so it does make you think I wonder if his cosmetics department created Fade and Always Corpse (laughs) (laughs) and that's how they paid her could have been I mean we have to we have to talk about it how can anyone look that bad 
It's just not. <laughs> I mean, why? Why would you do it to yourself? Yeah, I. You know, for one, I, th- I didn't know, even know she was still alive, which <laughs> is bad. But and you know, I remember it from the Supergirl film where she was great. Mm. Yeah, but she she spent I, a I, lot I of money on um, facial reconstruction and stuff, and it's there's just something to be said for growing old gracefully, I think, and kind of hanging on to her vestiges of her youth and it's not paying off because it's not like she's getting the big roles and we only see her in shit like this now. I mean, if she'd been in a fire, then you could understand. (laughs) But as far as I know that she hasn't, I mean, she didn't even have a nose. When you looked at her from the side on, she had no, she had no Mm. nose. It was just like a stump (laughs) stuck on her face. Really bad. Gershon gets the DNA samples from Whelan and her daughter. Whelan gives Gershon a smoothie to take with her to work. Gershon drops off the DNA samples and drinks the smoothie. After drinking the smoothie, Gershon starts to feel lightheaded and then gets behind the wheel of her car. (laughs) She manages to pull over before falling asleep. She then wakes up, realises that she's been drugged and then starts the car back up. What the fuck? Gershon gets home, has a fight with Whelan. Whelan forces Gershon to stab her in the stomach and Gershon also manages to get stabbed herself. Both get rushed to hospital. Gershon dies. Whelan gets rushed for a C-section. Cage's brother gives Cage the results of the DNA test. Cage goes to tell Whelan that Gershon is dead. She tries to kiss him, but he turns away. Cage wakes up. Sorry, Cage wakes Whelan up post-operation. Wheels her to where the baby is being kept and tells her, I want you to take a good look, as it'll be your last. Cage goes into the room with the babies and picks up his son. Whelan goes to follow him, but the door was locked behind Cage. Now, I'm not a medical expert, but I think if you've just had your entire stomach ripped open to have a baby removed, you're probably not going to be able to stand up and try and walk through a door like Whelan does in this scene. I said that. To, I said this to Sam. I was like, "You're not allowed to drive for about three months." <laughs> no, you're not. So like, <laughs> she just gets up, looks like Lazarus. She just like gets up and able to able to like. I mean, Sam's response to this was, "Well, she's just fucking crazy, isn't she?" <laughs> so I was like, "Well, that's a pretty, yeah. fair, that's a pretty fair explanation." Mm. Yeah, you um, you you can walk through a door with a C-section because she had to do it for Corey. <laughs> so within twenty minutes. Um, well, she. I've said before when um, when I got well, why not when I got there, he'd already been removed, and it was like a scene from Saw. There was that much blood everywhere. Um, but once everything was cleaned up, she was she didn't use a wheelchair. She still walked to the ward. But on that said, this woman is crazy. So anything goes, and it's in this film, so anything mm. goes as well. Fair, yeah. But it could, was it twenty minutes though? It, I mean, it could have been. It could have been four days. Yeah, true, <laughs> very true. <laughs> uh, when Cage has got the baby, Gershon then walks out to join him. She didn't really die. The end. Honestly, <laughs> I, I have no idea what the point was in Cage telling Whelan that Gershon was dead. Like, what was the aim of this action? It didn't make any difference or have any bearing on the story. And it, it was literally, we had three minutes of thinking she was dead and then finding out she wasn't. There was no, like, pullback and reveal of the big secret. What was the point in it? I have, I genuinely have no idea what they were, they were aiming to elicit with that 
that ruse. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think you just said it, that that's what the aim was, that it was supposed to be a big pullback and reveal, but, but it was just yeah. really shitly done. <laughs> yeah, they, they really shit the bed on it, didn't they? So the budget was $10 million on this film. $10 million. Like, whatever happened to mid-range films? It, it just seems to be every film now is either $10 million small time or it's a $300 million film. We don't get anything in between any longer. It's quite sad. The box office was $359,635. <laughs> However, this was simultaneously released on VOD as well as in cinemas. So whilst it sounds low, I can't imagine a straight-to-video level film like this is going to make any traction in the cinema, especially when you can stream it at home. If you compare that to the rest of the year, the other big films, uh, we would have had three films that hit the billion-dollar mark in 2017. Care to take a guess at any of the three? 2017, a billion dollars... Star Wars? No. Uh, Endgame? No, it's too early for Endgame. Uh, There isn't a Marvel film in the top three. Uh, One is a sequel. Actually, two are are sequels. One is the third in a trilogy of animated films. Toy Story 3? No. Cars 3? No. So it was Despicable Me 3. What? A billion dollars? That made over a billion dollars. Uh, the Fate of the Furious, made over a billion. Oh, of course. Uh, that's the eighth one of the series, and the top one was Beauty and the Beast. That was that. Why didn't you just say? Why didn't you just say three kids' films? I'd have got it. <laughs> Other notable box office films: Spider-Man: Homecoming, Justice League, It Part One, rounded out the top ten. For other Nicholas films, he worked on six films in 2017. <laughs> no wonder he looks so tired. I know. So he, there was like literally a film every other month coming out from Cage at this point. The only other film that we've seen from 2017 is my favourite, Mom and Dad. Uh, I had a look just out of curiosity just to see who was following up at the bottom of the 2017 pile. And amazingly, I have seen two of the bottom five films of 2017, Amityville The Awakening and a film called 222. If you enjoyed the level of bollocks inconceivable gives you, <laughs> then watch 222. It's only got $422 domestically. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> so IMDb, it had a 5.2 Metacritic score is not available, unfortunately. The Rotten Tomatoes critical score was a 31%, but the audience score was 62%. So, obviously, the critics didn't like it. Frank Sheck from The Hollywood Reporter. Inconceivable is something both Nick Cage and Faye Dunaway will want to leave off their filmographies. And at this point, that is saying something. Roger Moore from Movie Nation. A thriller that is too obvious to come off, too melodramatic to surprise, and too slow to hold our interest. Jenny Kermode from Eiffel Film booked the trend and she gave some praise to Gershon. Uh, She said that Inconceivable is a well-made film anchored by strong work from Gershon, who gives her character a lot more depth than is present in the script. 
But I think the final word from the critic has to go to Noel Murray from the LA Times. Laughably, the stilted conversations of Inconceivable is most notable for who is in it and how poorly served they are by the script and direction. But the fans, there are some fans who enjoyed this film. So, Simone, I saw this film with the amazing Cajun Dunaway starring. I really enjoyed the entire film from start to finish. It had a fresh storyline. I read the comments on here and I do not know what movie they are all watching. I think the direction was good, the story was unique, and the twists felt like I was on a roller coaster. Nicky Whelan was amazing (laughs) and real. Real, fucking hell. This film is a woman's film for sure, as I was happy to see with my mother on a rainy London night. Good job, all. Five stars. (laughs) There's a one-star review from Kaza, uh, which I really liked this one. Nick Cage and Gina Gershon are far too old to play the couple in this film. They both look like they're having babies in their 50s. That's why Gina has covered up her neck through most of this film. They don't look younger than 45. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking harsh, that is. Nanny P says that Whelan's character hides a lot of secrets, just like the trailer of this movie. You think you've seen it all? Better watch the movie and see for yourself to see why this movie is getting all the buzz online. Five stars. I don't remember there being any buzz about this film ever. No, not at all. (laughs) This one from Mike S. Cinematography? Check. A-list celebrities? Check. Dark plot twists that end and make you ask for more? Double check. <laughs> I know the director is the first time in Hollywood movies, but I can see the effort from the cast, especially Nikki Whelan. She delivered her best, and I actually think this movie is one of her best where she gave it all. I praise her for that, and on by ah, and by praise I mean I'm buying myself a copy of this movie and watch this movie twice or even three times. Five stars. <laughs> he loves this film so much he wants to watch it at least. Once, maybe twice more than he's already seen it. <laughs> but he, want, he wants to buy a copy of it, so he, he's actually, has he watched this in the cinema? He must have or done. He, must have done. Has he been naughty? Yeah. Uh, this movie is like Face Off all over again. Maybe it's just because it's Nick Cage and Gina Gershon in one movie. I didn't really have high hopes in watching this, but I went to the theatre thinking a lot about the ending. It's one of those movies with a plot that makes you think and argue with your friends after watching it. Five stars. I'm guessing his friends are arguing with him because he's a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Annie2609 on Amazon. Uh, Five stars as Gina Gershon is hot. The film is terrible, but who cares when you can spend 90 minutes watching her? (laughs) And Patsy, also from Amazon, gave a five-star review. I'm going to have to post this one on our Twitter because it's just ridiculous. I have to say I really enjoyed this movie about an old couple who cannot conceive again. They meet a young vivacious lady and hire her to look after the young daughter. The vivacious lady on her own uh, has her own child, which happens to be of a similar age to the old couples, in brackets, Nicolas Cage et al. So the old couple hire a girl to be a surrogate. Upon hearing this, the vivacious lady turns into a scheming lady, kills the surrogate and persuades the old couple, in brackets Nicholas Cage et al, to let her be the surrogate. As this happens, when the, sur- the 
fuck's sake. As happens when the scheming lady, in brackets, ex-vivacious lady, was young, <laughs> she donated eggs. And yes, you really belong to be the scheming lady. Stop reading this review and get the movie now. Five stars. Wow. We need to, hi- we need to hire her for our promotion. <laughs> you know what vivacious actually means? Well, isn't it just someone who's a little bit lively? That's what I assumed. Yeah. She's not really lively. She's just a bit nutso. But yeah, I, that, I really enjoy it. It's like looking through the uh, five stars on this one because they're just mental. So the good, the bad and the crazy. Stu, start us off. I mean, the good, it was... <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean, I've... I've been thinking about this for like six hours today <laughs> and I still don't know what to say because it's, it's, it's just its own thing and its own little world. I mean, the good aspect, the good, it's actually is entertaining in its own stupid way. Mm. That's, that's the, probably the best you can say. I mean, the bad, obviously the script and the acting and everything else. Um, but if I can't say that it, I wasn't entertained, and that's what we're <laughs> going to come into later. And, but I did think she, I did think she was. To be fair, she was actually probably the best part about it. Like all the uh, the fans there, and the, the Nicky Whelan tribute acts, and the fan club. Mm. I thought she was actually really good for for what she had to work with. I thought, yeah, she was decent. Um, but the crazy, I mean, the crazy is that it costs that much money to make. Why there was advert breaks in a film? Again, why? Um, <laughs> it things that just never got explained properly, and the plot holes all over the places, the bad wigs. But yeah, this so I'm stumped still, <laughs> stumped for the first time ever. It's broken you this film, Matt, hasn't it? <laughs> Matt, what are you saying? Well, the the, the good is. I'll definitely watch it again. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We've like, slated I'll, it for nearly an hour. I'll 100% watch it again because I can't say I didn't enjoy it. I know it's not a good film, but I enjoyed it. So that's good. <laughs> um, the bad, um, a slightly more serious note here. You would expect that this film is watched by a lot of middle-aged women who probably go with their gal pals to the cinema and i think like calling it inconceivable is really insensitive (laughs) um especially for like anybody that might be in the position of gershon's character or um that are struggling to have children and everything like that i just think i think the way that was handled was really insensitive throughout the film to be honest Mm. It's only because it was like so funny in parts that like you kind of overlook that. And I'm starting to think, am I just offended by films with Nicky Whelan in? Because that was the only Cage film <laughs> last uh, left behind where I was actually offended as a as a viewer. Um, for the crazy, I can't think of another time I've actually seen a padded cell <laughs> with padding on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a dream showroom. It was literally looked like the comfiest place in the world to be in. Like they've like it, it looked more like a, a health spa mm. than a, a medical center at the end. And I thought to myself, "What? This isn't how like a, a psych ward would look." 
this is absolutely bizarre. Then I thought, oh no, this is all a dream. But thankfully it wasn't. It didn't go down that route. <laughs> so for me, the good, like like you've both said, I did enjoy the film. I enjoyed the experience. Like, shit, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but I've watched it two and a half times this week. <laughs> I did enjoy it. Like I think the seed of the story is there. The script, the acting, the direction, the casting are all wrong. All of them just completely wrong. But it, it is sort of the hand that rocks the cradle meets single white female. It, it sort of works. So that's my good. Um, the bad, where do I start? I mean, there's not <laughs> enough cage for a start. And there's too much Eva Marie. Like, awful. The lesbian subplot thing... It went nowhere. It made no sense. It had no impact. It almost seemed like they put it in there to just try and be a little bit sexy. Like it was the director's wank fantasy. Like, okay, <laughs> do we really need that? It, it was a bit pointless. Uh, there were like numerous inconsistencies throughout the script. Like nobody actually talks like the characters in this movie. It was really odd, really stilted, really forced. Which I think leads me to what the biggest problem of this film is, and that is the script. So it was written by Chloe King. Much like when we spoke about Jonathan Baker, I had to check her IMDb page because never heard of her. And if you look at her credits, they are just all over the place. She worked on the Red Shoe Diaries. She wrote 13 episodes, produced 11, and was vice president of development on 34 episodes whatever that means. She's written two badly received films before Inconceivable. And, which brings me back to what you mentioned, Matt, she was listed as the costume jewellery on Valley Girl. I see, no wonder she liked it. So there we go. Maybe, Maybe she thinks the same as you, and this was just that character from Valley Girl just grown up now. Hmm. There we go. But I think between her and Jonathan Baker, like, how have they got to make a $10 million film? I mean, who on earth is trusting that pair with that sort of money? If those two can do it, I reckon the three of us could probably get a film out in a couple of years' time. Oh, we'll be at the Cannes Festival. Yeah. If if that's the the standard that gets you a film these days. Yeah. On the bright side, though, do you remember a few few episodes back when we were talking about films that we'd quite like to make? And I said I'd really like to do a film about the 90s sexy thriller that we used to get. Apparently they are making one, and this Chloe King is going to be a, a contributor to the uh, the documentary. It's called We Kill for Love, and it's described as a documentary that goes in search of the forgotten world of the direct-to-video erotic thriller, an American mm-hmm. genre that once dominated late-night cable television and the shelves of neighbourhood video stores. I've already put that on my watch list. Like, I can't wait to see that. (laughs) Uh, My crazy, Faye Dunaway broke her leg, like, literally days before shooting started. Uh, Jonathan Baker refused to recast her, as the role had been specifically written for her. Like, so they rewrote the script to have her sitting down throughout the film. She was in so much pain, and when she came on set... And she did what she needed to do. She's an Oscar winner, a great actress. And this is a small comeback role that was written in 12 hours so that it would flow with the script. Those are the words of Jonathan Baker. 
and they speak fucking volumes about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you enjoy this film, Stu? Yeah. <laughs> Against all logic and taste. Yeah, I did. Mm. And I will watch it again like Matt says. Yeah. Matt? It's inconceivable. But yes, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I mean, if the question was, is this a good movie? The answer is a resounding no. Yeah, correct. But it's it's in the same ballpark as The Room. Like, it is terrible, but... I have enjoyed picking it apart and taking the piss out of it. It's it's fun, but it really shouldn't be. So based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt? It's t- it's tough because like I don't think he got the chance to be good or mm. bad. Um but it's gotta be a no just on the basis that he doesn't he's he's his character is so bit part he doesn't he doesn't I'm fairly certain the film could have gone ahead without him being there. Um, do you know what yeah. I mean? So um, I, you've got to say a no, unfortunately. Probably unfair, really. But if, if we could do a not applicable, then it would be that. Yeah. <laughs> if we could do a draw, it would be that, but we can't. So it'd have to be a no. Yeah, I've gone for the, then the same route. I remember Stu before saying that could Matthew Broderick play this role as a gauge of whether or not Nick Cage is good in a film. And... <laughs> Absolutely anybody could have played this role because there was no depth to it. There was no script behind it. And I know that that's not fair to be harsh to Cage because he's only working with what he's got. But we've seen him work with very little and get a decent performance out. And Mm -hmm. here he just felt like he phoned it in a little bit. So I'm going to say bad as well, which I feel harsh, but them's the breaks, I'm afraid. Stu? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna abstain because you can't really judge it because he's got not, he's not on the screen long enough. But just to just to even it out a little bit, I'll just say yeah, just because he wasn't terrible, and because he's on the on the fifty fifty scale, giving him fifty one for being not not shit, he didn't mess up what he had to work with. So mm. that's not bad in my view. So giving him the benefit just, of the doubt, sort of. Yeah, just just about. Nothing that's fair. Over the line. That's fair. I, I, I genuinely, I think it could have gone either way. Personally, because like I said, it's not that he's he's not awful, but he's not great either. It's yeah, it, it's a it tough one. Like when it won like left behind, where he just couldn't be asked, mm. <laughs> and you can see that he couldn't be asked, and then we found out that he did it for just as a favour. <laughs> he just he was going through the motions, but what else did he have to do with? It? You, you could have put Matthew, you could you could have put Simon Shepherd from Peak Practice in there, <laughs> and it would have been the same. So yeah, but again, he he did all right with what he had to do with. So that's fair. Okay, so I want you to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Inconceivable, you might also like Stu. Start us off. Liar. Okay. Um, ITV. ITV one series. Ignore series two, but series one of Liar. We need to put a six-part drama in this uh, the same kind of vein. Like I mentioned earlier, that this got this was giving me vibes of ITV specials dramas that are from nine o'clock onwards that everyone talks about all week, and then everyone instantly forgets once the series is over. But probably six hours 
four hours of your time, go and watch Liar season one. Much better than this. <laughs> Fair enough. Matt? If you liked Inconceivable, you might like 2005's Derailed. The hell? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, Clive Owen in a sexy crime mm. thriller. That is also shit. <laughs> and that you can probably take the piss out of as well. <laughs> Very similar to this, really, in that respect. I've gone for... If you liked this, you might also like something good. Uh, I've gone for <laughs> Gone Girl, um, which is a film about psychopathic, manipulative person. I don't want to give away spoilers, but so the plot summary is that uh, a wife disappears and having become the focus of intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when he is suspected that the wife disappearance might be down to him. Uh, it's Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris. It's a um, David Fincher film, one of my favourites of his, and he's done some good stuff. So it's got some real depth and a good darkness to it. Properly excellent movie. So yeah, Gone Girl award. my so you, You've recommend, recommended an award-winning film after watching this? Yeah, because I'm thinking if you've sat through this shit, you might want something like something to like <laughs> pick you up a little bit afterwards. It's in a similar vein in that it's about psychopathic, manipulative person. So that's the angle I've gone, but I've just gone for something much better. (laughs) (laughs) So that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this film or any of the other films that we've discussed before now, email us your reviews or send us an MP3. Let us know what your thoughts are. It's cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter at CageFightingPod. This is where we put out all our calls and questions to you. Uh, As you're listening to us now, please make sure you've hit the subscribe button. You don't want to miss an episode of the Question Cast, Picture Pods or Uncaged Bonus Specials. Whilst you're subscribing, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you like or even what you think we could do better to make it a better experience. Finally, Thank you once again for giving us an hour or so of your time. We really do appreciate it. And if you can just let anyone know about the podcast, we would be eternally grateful. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourself. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? God, what have I done? (laughs) Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. (laughs) 